It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavis, licensed nutritionist. Dishing Up Nutrition today is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, a company specializing in life-changing nutrition education. If you have diabetes or are pre-diabetic or have insulin resistance or even high triglycerides, you'll find today's show full of lots of life-changing nutritional information. Dr. Rob Thompson will be joining joining us in a few minutes to discuss his new book, The Low Starch Diabetes Solution. And our co-host today is Cara Carper, who is also a licensed nutritionist, and she meets with clients in St. Paul and Wyzetta. And Cara is also available to work with you individually by phone and email. If some sometimes coming into the office is a little hard, not convenient, and you know, we have distant nutrition counseling available. We have clients throughout the United States and even a couple of clients as far as with Germany. I mean, it's kind of amazing. So for all of our longtime listeners, you know we have a special brand of nutrition based on real food. And our nutrition plan meets the, gets the results. I'll, I'll get these words out pretty good. <laughs> They get the results that you're looking for, and so here's Kara. Welcome to the show, Kara. Thanks, Star. I didn't know we had people in Germany that were yep. doing counseling. Yes, I have a couple of clients from Germany that I that call in, and um, yeah, I, I it's know just like people next door. Well, and I know people listen to our podcasts from all over the world, but now we have clients all over the world. Right, that's great. Well, for, I just want to start with um, for a minute talking about last week's show. We had a question. And after having the opportunity to think about it, I'd actually like to answer that in more detail. Hopefully the person is listening today. But if listeners remember, it was a woman who called in, and she is someone who had just had metabolic testing at the Mayo Clinic. And Mayo Clinic said that she had a very slow metabolism. I remember that. Yes. Yep. And mm-hmm. she had a low BMR. Mm-hmm. So at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, you know, we do specialize in helping people like this with recharging their metabolism. And I mean, an an option for this woman would be a wonderful class that we offer. It's called Jumpstart Your Metabolism. It's actually being taught in our St. Paul office on November 23rd. And the focus of that class is a lot of what we're going to talk about today, Dar, reducing the processed carbohydrates, which will in turn reduce insulin resistance and blood sugars, and metabolism is naturally just increased, and it gets a jump start. Right. And then we also have a, our new series of classes called Nutrition for Weight Loss, and that focuses on eliminating cravings and increasing metabolism. And one of the keys that we have found in increasing metabolism is to eat sufficient amount of protein every day and to eat it actually several times a day. And that increases metabolism. I mean, that increases metabolism up to 70% every time we eat protein. Yes. And we also want to, you know, we can't forget about digestion. We want to consider how well people are digesting food because 
poor digestion actually can lead to a slow metabolism. And we actually do that in Nutrition for Weight Loss, too. Mm -hmm. And so we always ask the whys. Why is a metabolism slow? Is it too many carbs or not enough protein? Or maybe it's eating the wrong fats. Or could it be a slow thyroid or lack of sleep? Our recent surgery. So really, it's not an, I mean, it's a pretty complex issue. And so as you can hear, you know, we want to figure out the whys and then develop an action plan to correct the metabolism problem. So when somebody hears from the Mayo Clinic, for example, that you have a slow metabolism, we don't just take that as an answer. For mm-hmm. us, that's really a place to start asking questions. That's for sure. That's where we start. So at the very beginning of the show, we promise listeners life-changing nutrition information. So let's welcome Dr. Rob Thompson. He is the author of The Low Starch Diabetes Solution. You know, I hope uh, Dr. Thompson's on the line. Good morning to you. Good morning, Darlene. Good morning. Good morning. And Dr. Thompson, this is Cara that's on the line with us this morning as their co-host. Good morning, Cora. Good morning, Dr. Thompson. Welcome to the show. You know, I really did enjoy your book because we kind of have similar beliefs about carbs and fats and protein as you do. So thanks for getting up so early because you're in you're in Seattle, right? Yes, this is my usual wake-up time, and uh, it's good to talk to you. Good. Thank you. So how did you figure out this low-starch solution for blood sugar control? I, would you kind of tell our listeners about your history and, uh, you know, your story a little bit? Well, um, I became uh, especially interested in, interested in this subject because I developed diabetes myself. I, uh, I remember I was... Uh, Waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and uh, actually I was on vacation, and I uh, was guzzling fluids, and I was wondering what in the world was wrong with me. I thought, geez, uh, I wonder if I have high blood sugar, you know, and I, mm-hmm. uh, I thought, gosh, you know, uh, maybe my blood sugar went up to, uh, well, you'll norm- normally it should be under 125 or so, but, you know, maybe maybe my blood sugar's up to 160, maybe 170, and I finally got back in Seattle, and I had my nurse draw my blood, and I checked it, and it was 380. Oh, yes. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I all of a sudden developed uh, uh, adult type 1 diabetes, mm, and mm-hmm. I became very interested in uh, <laughs> in diabetes all of a sudden. It, now, that happened to be my, uh, my specialty. I'm a preventive cardiologist, and uh, that entails taking care of people's uh, diabetes, cholesterol, blood pressure, and obesity problems. So um, coincidentally, this was what I did. And uh, so I had an opportunity to watch my blood sugar very closely. I I had analyzers and not only my blood sugar, but my cholesterol and my triglyceride. And uh, um, so over the years, I've I've kept very close watch on it. And uh, that does stimulate your interest in a subject. There's it no certainly does, and I think that's uh-huh. one of the things that that we in our our clinic we we really specialize in metabolism because I have always said I probably had the slowest <laughs> metabolism of anyone in the world, <laughs> and so we have done everything to figure this thing out. <laughs> so, well, Doctor Thompson, you know, in your book, you talked about eating two different meals, so. 
one of those meals it was the steak, Caesar salad, asparagus, baked potato skins with butter and sour cream, a little chocolate for dessert. How was your blood sugar, and were you satisfied with that meal? Well, that was uh, something that uh, probably every diabetic uh, is shocked to learn that uh, there's very little correlation with how much you uh, enjoy a meal and what it does to your blood sugar. <laughs> uh, you know, I immediately thought, well, this this automatically means that uh, this is the end of my uh, hearty eating days, and uh, no more will I be able to enjoy a meal. But, uh, you know, diabetes doesn't really care whether you enjoy things or not. Uh, you know, it doesn't care. Um, the only thing it cares about is uh, how fast and how many carbohydrates uh, flow into your bloodstream. So when I uh, when I first one of my favorite meals is a good steak and uh, I remember how amazed I was at uh, one time I you know, had a nice big one along with some as you say some vegetable and uh, I, I, potato skins I was smart enough to not to eat the white part uh huh yes and uh, you know some chocolate after dinner which really does not raise your blood sugar much right and I, I was just astounded to see that you know my blood sugar didn't go up a bit. Well, then, uh, you know, in your book, you talked about, you know, a few days later that you ate a sandwich made with whole wheat bread. Well, yes, I uh, I heard that uh, whole wheat bread was the way to go, you know, and uh, uh, stay away from that white bread and you'll be okay. So I, <laughs> I ate a couple slices of white bread, whole wheat bread and my blood sugar just shot up. And I thought, well, how did this rumor get started? <laughs> right. But you indeed, know. Uh, when we work with clients with diabetes and they tell us what the American Diabetes Association recommends, it's always a lot of whole grain bread. And can you just comment for a minute on the American Diabetes Association's recommendations for things like whole grains? Um, well, whole grain bread has more vitamins uh, than white bread. It has more fiber. Uh, this is good, uh, although it really doesn't have enough fiber to really do you much good. Uh, if you really have a fiber lack, you should uh, find another source. But um, it will raise your blood sugar just as much as white bread will. And uh, furthermore, there's just a lot more food in it. Uh, you look at it sometimes. A slice of white bread, uh, excuse me, a slice of uh, whole grain bread weighs half again as much as a slice of white bread. So you're just eating a lot more. Okay, that's interesting. You know, that's an interesting thought. You're just, with the whole grain bread, you're just eating more, but it makes your blood sugar go up just as much as mm -hmm. white bread. Yeah, sure. Well, just about. Okay. Well, that's one of those interesting, probably nutritional myths out there that we need to, and that's why we're doing the show, is to help people recognize some of those myths about different foods and how it affects your blood sugar. So I know we have to take a quick little break here, but hold, stay with us, Dr. Thompson. I will. Okay. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and I think the theme of this show is that your health gets better when you can eliminate the starches. So if you can reduce or eliminate, even eliminate starch found in grains, white potatoes, rice, even corn, the good news about that is that you can prevent improve or possibly even rid yourself of obesity, diabetes, heart and blood vessel disease, infertility, acne, age-related vision loss, and even certain cancers. 
So this is a very powerful recommendation for powerful results. And please give us a call today if you have questions, 651-641-1071. If you just realize what I just realized, then we'd be perfect for each other and we'll never find another. Just realize what I just realized. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavis, licensed nutritionist, and I'm here with Cara Carper, licensed nutritionist, and our special guest, Dr. Rob Thompson, author of the Low Starch Diabetes Solution book. And I'd like to read a paragraph from the Low Starch Diabetes Solution. When you eat natural carbohydrates, the fresh fruit or vegetables, glucose releases into your bloodstream slowly over several hours. So that's the vegetables and fruits release glucose slowly into your bloodstream for several hours. Much of the carbohydrates never get digested and arise in your colon as fiber. Starches behave differently. Those tiny crystals are glucose bombs, and within minutes of hitting your intestines, they dissolve like snowballs in water, releasing pure glucose into our bloodstream. So basically, I mean, Dr. Thompson in his book is telling us that things like rice crackers, bagels, pasta, cold cereal any cereal really, or bread, turns into pure glucose, while other carbohydrates, vegetable carbohydrates like broccoli, squash, green beans, they release slowly because of the fiber. So listeners, you know, vegetable carbohydrates should be your carbohydrate of choice. Very, that's, that was a great, I love that. I know, that's perfect. (laughs) We talk about that in our classes, and we actually do have a couple of callers. I'm going to take our first caller. Okay, sounds good. Hi, welcome to the show. Do you have a question for Dr. Thompson today? Yes, I was wondering about the effect of sprouted grains, such as what you find in Ezekiel bread. Are those the same, considered to be the same, or how do they compare? Dr. Thompson, are you familiar with the, that brand, Ezekiel bread? Uh, yes. Okay. So, so what's your answer on sprouted grains? Uh, it's uh, the nature of grain is is such that 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 is the purpose of it it uh, um, it contains starch which is supposed to provide uh, a rapid uh, source of glucose for sprouts to grow and uh, <clears throat> when you take that uh, uh, kernel and violate uh, its encasement uh, you immediately give yourself access to the starch that's in it and uh, Simply, what they've done is allow the some of the uh, starch kernels to sprout a little bit, which violates the encasement, and uh, your body can get to the starch uh, quite rapidly, and uh, and it will still raise your blood sugar. Now, it it doesn't raise it quite as much as uh, other sources of starch, like a bagel or white bread, but uh, it's still more than you want to. If you want to. If you want to determine whether it will raise your blood sugar too much, look at the grams of carbohydrate. Uh, if it's a, a, a slice of white bread has 13 grams of carbohydrate, if, you're, if your bread, uh, one slice of it or how much you're going to eat is less than 13 grams, uh, it can't raise your, your, your blood sugar more than a slice of white bread would. So um, you can tell by using that rule but 
But most, I think, most whole grain breads, and I think probably Ezekiel bread has about 24 grams of carbohydrates for per slice. As if I've looked quite at quite a few different kinds of breads, and so that's going to raise your blood sugar probably pretty fast. If you had a half a slice, it uh, yes, it could, okay, wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So do we have another caller? We do. Uh, okay. Let's go ahead. With... Good morning, Jan. Welcome to the show. Do you have a question for us today? I do. I'm curious about um, brown rice, uh, if it is, falls into the same categories as white rice or other starches, or if it's similar to the whole grain bread conversation that's being had. It doesn't matter whether it's white rice or white bread or brown rice or brown bread. It does just about the same to your your blood sugar. Indeed, in, in countries where there are vitamin deficiencies, uh, there are more vitamins in brown rice and maybe a little bit more protein. But uh, as far as raising your blood sugar, it does the same thing as white rice does. So, Dr. Thompson, have you tested out wild rice at all with blood sugars? Um, in the uh, International Table of Glycemic Loads and Indexes, where you can find these glycemic loads listed. Uh, there is no kind of rice that does not raise your blood sugar an inordinate amount. Okay. Um, you know, our prehistoric ancestors did not have starch in their diets. The, uh, the kind of carbohydrates they ate was very crude. They ate, my goodness, they ate bark and roots and grass and even dirt when they were hungry enough. And um, uh, there was no such thing as uh, refined carbohydrates. This mm-hmm. is a completely unnatural food. <clears throat> I think this is so interesting because we, we have so many people that come to our office that um, they want to get their whole grains for the fiber. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they see that something has a few grams of fiber, just immediately assume that that is an okay carbohydrate. But what you're saying is that all of this is just raising blood sugar too much. It's all, it's all starch. It's all starch. It's all, right. It all gets down to that. You know, before break, um, Dr. Thompson, we were, we started talking about whole grains and then recommendations of the American Diabetes Association. When you started your eating plan, did you feel that those, in general, those recommendations were helpful to you? Um. These organizations are very slow to change, and they're still stuck on the idea, uh, it sounds rational, that uh, the high cholesterol in our blood comes from the cholesterol in our diet. And that has been proven to be completely untrue. Um, Our body makes four times more cholesterol than we eat, and if we eat less, it just makes more, and if we eat more, it just makes less. High blood cholesterol decidedly does not come from eating cholesterol or fat. So, Dr. Dr. Thompson, now you are a cardiologist, right? Yes. (laughs) So I think you just need to say that one more time because, you know what, we say it over and over in our classes, but we're not cardiologists. We're just nutritionists, you know. (laughs) It, it, It wasn't long ago that the federal government funded a huge research trial that was supposed to answer this question once and for all. It was called, uh, well, they did it in men and women. The women's one was called the Women's Health Initiative 
WHI, Dietary mm-hmm. Modification Trial. And uh, they enrolled 48,000 people in this study. It was an immense study, uh, costing the taxpayers multi-million dollars uh, of taxpayers' money. And uh, they randomized people uh, according to two groups. They, one group, uh, 19,000 women, got uh, training sessions in low-cholesterol, low-fat diets. And it was quite intense. Uh, they had 18-hour-long uh, sessions of training in the first year of how to abide by a low-fat, low-cholesterol diet. And they brought them back once every three months for eight years uh, to refresh their uh, memory as far as their technique. And at the end of eight years, indeed, the women who uh, received the training did reduce their fat and their cholesterol intake. Uh, Their total cholesterol levels went down less than 2% at the end of eight years, and there was absolutely no difference in the rate of any disease. Uh, so they followed. So they followed this low-fat diet for eight years. Eight years. And they had abs. Very- there was. There was. Well, there certainly was no difference in the rate of heart disease. In fact, there was very little difference. There was only a two percent drop in the cholesterol level among the women who followed the diet, compared to uh, women who did not receive the training. And this has been demonstrated over and over again. Um, and I don't know why we insist on telling people that um, a low cholesterol diet will lower their blood cholesterol level. Oh. High, high blood cholesterol is a genetic quirk. And uh, in the days, prehistoric times, it was irrelevant whether your cholesterol was high. So the gene pool is filled with little metabolic uh, quirks in our met- cholesterol metabolism. Uh, scientists have identified more than a thousand uh, congenital defects. You don't want to call them defects, just little differences in the way we handle cholesterol. And these are what determines your cholesterol level. And the only way to truly get at it, if you really seriously want to lower your blood cholesterol level, uh, is to take some cholesterol-lowering medication. Now, on the other hand, there's good cholesterol, and good cholesterol is profoundly affected by our diet and our activity levels, and uh, a low-carb diet or a low-glycemic load diet combined with exercise will raise your good cholesterol up markedly, more than any medication known, and it will make your triglycerides drop like a rock. So, Dr. Thompson... You know what we 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 need to take a quick break here, but when we come back, I think I think we'd like to expand on that just a little bit so people understand that if they want to increase their good HDL cholesterol, then basically they lower their carbohydrate or their starch intake. And I think if we go over that one more time, um, so for people to understand. Um, but I think we should take a break. Right, Cara? Yes, it is time to take a break. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. And if you're looking to control your cravings or balance your moods or, like we were just talking about, reduce cholesterol numbers, increase energy, maybe lose a few pounds before the holidays, 
we have a solution for you. And it's our series of classes called the Weight and Wellness Series. And there is still time to sign up for the Weight and Wellness Series, but you would need to do it quickly. We actually have a <laughs> class today in about an hour. Starting today. Yeah, starting today at our St. Paul office. Um, so you could give our office a call if you have questions about that. 651-699-3438. And if you have questions about the show, 651-641-1071. We'll be right back. If you're like me, you try to eat right, but the definition of healthy eating seems like a moving target. Should I eat low-carb or low-fat? Do eggs and butter raise my cholesterol? Is coffee good after all? Don't rely on sound bites and infomercials for something as important as your health. You deserve recommendations based on biochemistry. Nutritional Weight and Wellness is off for a complimentary e-newsletter that is chock full of nutrition information and tips. The Weight and Wellness Way newsletter provides sound information and practical strategies from a nutritionist's perspective. Learn a natural approach to healthy eating based on real whole foods you buy at the grocery store. All this and best of all, it's free. To subscribe to the complimentary Weight and Wellness Way e-newsletter, go to weightandwellness.com and enter your email address. Then watch your inbox every month for nutrition news and special offers that will help you look and feel your best. For information on other services at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, call 651-699-3438. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you have questions for Dr. Thompson, the phone number here is 651-641-1071. And I'd like to share a list of carbs that Dr. Thompson would suggest you eliminate for your best health. And here goes the list. And I know you're not going to like it, but white bread, brown bread, white rice, brown rice, potatoes. Have I caught any of the ones favorites yet? And there's more to that list. Actually, corn, pasta, breakfast cereals, oatmeal, pancakes, bagels, English muffins, cookies, crackers, potato chips, and cornbread. People are not happy right now (laughs) after hearing that list. But But it's good information to know this. Yes. And so I think we're going to take a couple of callers, right? Yes, we have several callers right now. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It looks like you have a question about couscous. Yeah, actually, I'm wondering how orzo, couscous, and quinoa all stack up for grains. I've been orzo? on a diet for a while, and okay. quinoa was one of the allowed things. <laughs> orzo, quinoa, and couscous. Dr. Thompson, what do you? How how could you answer that question? Um, I get asked uh, about those uh, substances quite frequently, and. Once again, they're all grain-based, and they're just no getting around it. Uh, the, their purpose is to provide uh, sugar for uh, sprouting uh, plants, and they're just full of, as soon as they reach your digestive tract, they turn to sugar and will decidedly raise your blood sugar. So there you are. You, you mentioned uh, that, that uh, this was some of people's favorite foods. You know, um, Starch is basically tasteless. Ninety-eight percent of it uh, does not get broken down in our mouth, and we cannot taste it. About two percent gets broken down to glucose, which gives you a mild sweetness. But uh, you taste very little of it. You don't get the same uh, taste sensations and textures that you do from 
other food. And when you eliminate the starches, uh, you really are not eliminating very much uh, taste and dietary excitement. If you replace it with other foods, I'm not talking about uh, restricting your food intake. I'm talking about replacing the starches with uh, more tasty and more exciting food. Like fat, for example, or proteins, like that steak that you had and you put sour cream on the potato skins? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, that's, I think that's a good point. So actually, you know, and I think that's a big misconception that people, when whenever you kind of say you need to give up some of these things, if you want to bring down your blood sugar or lose weight or whatever the issue is, or to reduce cholesterol. And I think that a lot of times people uh, think that they're going to be missing a, something that is dear to them. And really, it doesn't have any taste. And I, when I was reading your book, I was really kind of surprised by that, too, that carbs, these starches, they really don't have taste. It's what you put on them that gives it the taste. And so, that's interesting. That is very interesting. What I'm, what I'm bringing here is good news. It is. You can eat anything you want. You can eat all the meat and cheese and eggs and dairy products and fruits and vegetables and nuts and chocolate, even some candy. Uh, if you stay away from the starch, uh, you will see some changes. So that's, I mean, that's good news. So, Carl, should we take another caller? Yeah, and this is going to be in, an interesting one. I, this will be a good question for Dr. Thompson. Hi, Marianne. Welcome to the show. What What is your question about, it looks like, cardiology for Dr. Thompson? Thank you for taking my call. Um, my mother had her first heart attack when she was 52, so there's a, a high genetic propensity, and I uh, also have high cholesterol. Mine was 289 recently, but I am I'm thin, I'm active, uh, I eat a low-carb diet, uh, pastured meats. Um, uh, you know, I'm really particular about my food, and I'm wondering, do I have to lower my cholesterol? Is, is, um, is there data showing that low cho- or high cholesterol automatically means that I will have heart disease, or, or um, is there another way around taking a statin? I think you had, that's a great question. Great question. Dr. Thompson? Well, you certainly want to break it down into the good and bad cholesterol. You might have high cholesterol because your good cholesterol is elevated. But if your bad cholesterol is elevated, uh, as it probably is if your cholesterol is 289, uh, you have a genetic quirk in your cholesterol metabolism, and you can uh, go on a low cholesterol diet if you want, but it won't do you any good. And um, all it'll do is encourage you to eat more starch and sugar, and um, that has its disadvantages. Uh, It's not a matter of how much cholesterol is going into your body. It's how much your body decides to let out. That's the problem. And if you uh, take cholesterol-lowering medication, it simply turns on the faucet and lets the cholesterol out of your body. But I think her question really was deeper than that. Is is, is she really at risk for a heart attack or heart disease with a higher cholesterol number? Yes, you are. Okay. So that's... That's so, that, yes. Okay. Yeah, if you have, a, you could be nice and slim and trim and exercise and uh, be a marathon runner. And if your uh, blood cholesterol level is too high, uh, it will get into your arteries. 
So what are her options then, assuming that it's not helpful to remove cholesterol from her diet? Uh, There is no natural option when you're dealing with a congenital or a genetic problem. Uh, Your body is tuned to hold on to cholesterol. And uh, for some reason, your cholesterol-lowering mechanisms in your liver have decided that you need a higher level of cholesterol in your blood. And as I said, um, 10,000 years ago, this didn't make a difference because humans didn't live long enough for cholesterol to accumulate in their their arteries. So we, we have all these little cholesterol quirks in our gene pool. Uh, but they are there now, and they if we want to live to be 80, 90 years old, they have a have an effect. Now, one of the things that when we're working with clients and we see that their cholesterol numbers are maybe, especially if we, can, we help them get their HDL up, you know, and that's by lowering the carbohydrates, increasing good fats, omega-3 fish oils, and exercise is kind of our our protocol for getting the HDL mm-hmm. to increase. And then when we're looking at decreasing LDL, and we've been very successful with this, is again, doing the low carb, you know, lots of vegetables, good good fats, get rid of the trans fats, because, you know, we know that research shows that, you know, getting rid of the trans fats will improve your LDL cholesterol. And then we have a product that is that is called cardioxin, and it has some niacin in it and polycosinoids and and things. And I have found that when people take, you know, either two to four of those every day, that that helps to reduce that LDL cholesterol back down to normal, and they don't have any of the side effects of some of the statin medications. And for us, it's been very successful for almost every client that mm-hmm. we've worked with. So my clients have had success as well with yeah. that. So, but it it really takes a person dedicated to dedicated to their health to continue that kind of an eating plan. As you know, it takes that with diabetes. It's it's just you got to have that dedication to keep these processed carbs out of your diet for sure. Well, so that, that's that's some of the things that we've found. So, you know, a couple of different answers for you. Um, this idea of dedication and willpower, uh, I don't go for it. I've been talking to patients for 30 years, and my conclusion is that people just don't have a whole lot of willpower. So what I am advocating, again, is just eat what you want, but eliminate three foods. Flour products, potatoes, and rice. Right, and we would we would agree with that as well. Whether it's we're talking about high blood sugars or high LDLs, yeah. And it actually is. Thank you for your call. Um, It is time to take our last break. You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and by now you might be wondering about how Dr. Thompson became so wise and has all of this knowledge. He's a board certified cardiologist in private practice who has counseled patients with high cholesterol diabetes, and heart disease for more than 25 years. So we really believe you would learn a lot if and get more information if you purchased his book, and it's called The Low Starch Diabetes Solution. And we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. 
You know, I had a great email yesterday from a listener, and Carol said, I tell my friends and coworkers that I eat very little processed foods or anything that comes in a can, a box, a bag, a package, and they look at me like I'm speaking Russian or something. Please spend a minute or two each show talking about processed foods. Wow, Carol. It seems so simple, but I agree because of TV nutrition, we think Cheerios or Yoplait yogurt or chips or whole wheat pasta is healthy. But again, it is processed factory food causing our obesity and diabetes epidemic. You know, education, nutrition education, our passion is really the answer. So if you're looking for a class like, you know, ADD, ADHD class or Jumpstart Your Metabolism class or Nutrition for Young Adults class, uh, we have them all coming up. And just check our website, weightandwellness.com. And they're usually a two-hour class, easy to get into, and lots of good information. And only, you know, 25 to $30 usually for exactly. great information. And in our classes, what we explain to our class members is that all carbohydrates break down into glucose, which increases blood sugar levels. Now, some carbohydrates increase blood sugar much more than other carbohydrates. And that is, it's because some have a higher glycemic index number, such as bagels, which we referred to earlier in the show. And so we have, because we have this expert on, Dr. Thompson, can you just explain the difference between glycemic index and glycemic load? I know if I eat, for example, a half cup of carrots with butter and eggs, my blood sugar is normal. But if I were to eat a bagel, my blood sugar sure would spike up. So the glycemic index and the glycemic load... The glycemic index was established to prove the point that some carbohydrates raise your blood sugar more than others do. If you take uh, 50 grams of carbohydrate as carrots, uh, it will raise your blood sugar almost as much as 50 grams of carbohydrate uh, consumed as spaghetti. Right. However, nobody eats 50 grams of carbohydrate in carrots, that would mean you'd have to eat seven carrots. Uh, right. And that's seven large carrots. <laughs> so the glycemic load uh, is the glycemic index corrected for your typical serving size. Which would be Which most people would eat a half a cup of carrots or something like that. Yeah, or one carrot. Yeah. <clears throat> Which would be about a half a cup. <laughs> I think the best example is this. The uh, Lifesavers, you know, solid sugar, uh, they have a very high glycemic index. If you took 50 grams of Lifesavers, it would really raise your blood sugar. But that would mean you'd have to eat 20 Lifesavers or something like this. And the typical serving size is one Lifesaver, which won't do anything to your blood sugar. So what's a typical serving of pasta for 50 grams of uh, carbs? Um, Well... To get 50 grams of carbs, all I can say is a typical serving of pasta is a cup or two cups. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's somewhere around 100 grams yeah. of, okay. of carbohydrates. Okay. So, you know, seven carrots versus maybe uh, a cup of pasta. It's a would... lot easier to eat that pasta, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> mm, yes. Okay. So I'm just trying to help people, you know, see the difference is how much the food is. So... Yeah, 
fruits and vegetables are carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that they contain, as you say, fiber, but also uh, natural uh, sugar blockers. There are substances in there that are put there to prevent bacteria and insects from enjoying the sugar in them. There are actually chemicals that inhibit the breakdown and digestion of of the sugar in the starches in them. There are a lot of structures that encase uh, the sugar and starch. So the the bottom line is that when you eat them, it, it takes a long time for it to seep into your bloodstream, and it won't raise your blood sugar nearly as much because your body has more time to to process oh, them. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. We well, learn we, something every time we have guests We on. always do, I know. Mm-hmm. We actually have three callers, and unfortunately I don't think we're going to have time to get to all of them, but I am going to just take one caller here. Thank you so much for waiting, Judith. Do you have a question for Dr. Thompson today? Yes, I do. I have always had a sugar problem, so I decided to go on a low-carb diet. And what I find is I could eat all the fat, and all the good protein, good fat, vegetables, feel satiated for about a half hour, and then I'm hungry again. Hungry, irritable, is it low blood sugar? So, Dr. Thompson, did you hear that question? Yes. Okay. Um, Usually, when you eat something starchy or sugary, your blood sugar shoots up and then comes crashing down about two hours later, leaving you feeling hungry and very often shaky and cranky and you can't concentrate. And the way to uh, prevent that is a high-protein, high-fiber type of a meal. And uh, I I will say this, when you switch from a high-carbohydrate diet to a low-carbohydrate diet, uh, your blood sugar will go down from being too high down to a normal range. And I've noticed that for a week or two after that, when your blood sugar comes down to normal, uh, people uh, feel a little uh, hungry or empty or or uh, something like this because they are not used to having a normal blood sugar. Right, even a little antsy, I think, inside. Yeah. That's right. It's adjustment of that, that bringing down that blood sugar level, for some people at least, that have been running higher blood sugars. That's right. That goes away after a week or two. Right, right. So, I, you know, that's, I, hope we, I hope we kind of answered that. You know, and sometimes, you know, you have to remember again that you can eat vegetables on what is called a low-carbohydrate diet and fruits, so that it isn't, it isn't necessarily that you're eating that low in carbohydrate, it's just that you're switching out the, those kinds, you're switching the starches out. You're getting rid of those because those are the ones that really increase your blood sugar a lot while you're eating more vegetables and you get that satisfaction. And I think, because this is the way I eat all the time, and I find that I really have to eat a lot of vegetables and I have to eat a variety of vegetables I have to have a few carrots in there, but I have a lot of broccoli, you know, and, and that helps. Dr. Thompson, we want to thank you so much for being on the show, and thanks for being able to communicate good science in a nice way that people can understand. 
Well, I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you, darling. Yes, thank you, thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Ba-da-ba-da.